Welcome back, Rebels. Let's talk about ads and advertising. Uh, ads, as in not not me, but actual digital advertising. Oh, that's my that's my pet name for you. I think that's a great thing to talk about because I feel like so much of my feed at the moment is just me getting bombarded by ads to people that I already follow or people that I know are never gonna like. I'm never gonna employ. Like I get targeted so much by other photographers, and I feel like. I don't know if whether people are just trying to grow a following on social media and just thinking like this is the only way to do it now by paying for ads or if they actually think that by investing in those ads that's going to bring them jobs and clients and that kind of thing but then it's like well if I'm being targeted then definitely something's going wrong here. Yeah it's interesting so throughout um, throughout the years we've we've obviously used Google ads a lot um because, and I suppose when you use a Google ad, that's because someone is directly searching for what you have to offer. Um, and so you you pay to appear in the search. So we've used Google ads a lot. On social, we, like, we've always kind of not, not hacked the system, but like we've always wanted to get the biggest bang for our buck, which is basically free. Um, so we've always tried to engineer content that is going to get shared naturally so that we didn't ever have to put an ad spend behind it. Whilst I do think social media ads do definitely work, I think you have to be very calculated about how you're doing it. And definitely the the only reason you should be paying for ads is if it's directly um, leading to a sale that you're going to get from someone. Because just paying for yeah. uh, for your latest painting or poem to be seen by lots of people that's going to grow your numbers, you are essentially just buying followers. And I don't know how much use that is going to have to you. Yeah, 100%. I think it all comes down to knowing who your audience is. Like in terms of who your audience is who's going to enjoy your content and then who your audience is in terms of like who could be an actual client. And have, those two are often quite different people, I think, especially as artists. The way an art account generally grows will be it starts to get followed by other artists first. And you'll know this if you've got, you're in a certain career, that if it's almost like no matter what you're in, whatever your field is, you'll be followed by your peers first. Because people generally like to see, like, get inspiration from it. They're not necessarily the ones who are going to buy the art or buy whatever it is that you're selling. So I think that's always really worth thinking about. It's like, who is actually going to pay for my service? Because it's like there's no point putting an ad spend behind it if you're just going to target people who are like you who will probably come across you anyway because you're putting out the work that they'll be interested in for inspiration or to just look at. So it's working out, well, who are who's going to buy these? Like, are is this audience going to buy it? Because you might find that actually that audience will buy something off you, but it probably won't be the main thing that you're selling. It probably won't be the main service you offer out to the world. It might be if you're a painter it might be something to educate other painters with whereas if you're a painter and you're looking to sell paintings then you want to target people who buy paintings and quite often those people aren't artists yeah that's definitely true knowing knowing who uh, who your clients are i think when you get to a certain level of of followers um it's, it's almost like a scattergun approach of of as soon as you hit big numbers, you do get interest in whatever it is that you're selling just through sheer, like one in every 100 people is going to be a potential customer. So yeah. so it does work that way, um, but it's just not very, it's not very focused. On that note, that just made me think about like certain fashion brands that kind of release stuff. And there's so much like hype builds up about around it that they can afford to just advertise everywhere because it's like, even though I'm not part of that scene, I'm like, well, everyone's who's cool is buying this 
that means that I need to buy into it too. And you're kind of getting that second wave. Whereas I think most people, especially like our listeners and us, it's like, we're still on that first wave of kind of getting the, the actual loyal followers, the early adopters in who are actually going to be there for you. It's not like the actual kind of people who just come in. Like, like streetwear is a really good example where you've got people who are generally interested in it and have been for years. And then you get other people who want to buy the cool and just think, oh, if I buy that pair of trains, if I buy that top, like that's going to make me as cool as those guys. The hype beasts, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and we talk about it with Amrit in the, in the episode coming up about how there's a difference between followers and advocates. And an advocate is someone who is actually going to support you, is actually going to spend money with you, is actually going to keep you in your creative career yeah. um, by supporting you. So um, I, I kind of have set up on my Instagram like a filtration system. So I have my link in bio is a link to my mailing list. We all know the Kevin Kelly essay, 1000 True Fans, um, where basically you need a thousand people that are truly engaged with you in order to make a successful career. Um, and it's, it's very like it's really hard to get to that number like a thousand true fans is a is a bloody lot yeah. of people so i'm just approaching sixty thousand followers on my instagram account and of those sixty thousand, i have 800 who've signed up to my mailing list so that's a real that kind of shows you there of all the of the like the scattergun approach of like followers 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 there's there's 800 who are potentially clients because they've seen that my link in bio says uh, waiting list, um, that my books are closed and here's my waiting list. So they've signed mm-hmm. up there. Of those 800, not all of those are going to purchase. So it's, a, it's an even smaller number um, that are actually my, my true fans. Yeah. Something that I remember from w- when we started our business, I remember reading this years and years and years ago, must have been like 10 years ago, that was saying, be calculated how you use your social media. Um, use it to broadcast and like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going on. But try like set yourself uh, some sort of goal of every month you're trying to get one sale from Twitter, one sale from Facebook, one sale. And then all of a sudden you you start to approach the way that you're treating your social media a little bit different. So, and I still do that now. So I'll post 10 paintings in a row with no ask, no um, no sales involved. But then I'll just do one that says, here's a canvas, my book's open in March. And it's just, you're just dropping it in there. The link is in my bio. And then I get my MailChimp stats every week. And that week I'll see, oh, it went up 100 people because I I spoke about it and I was intentional with it. But when you get into the, it's like as soon as I see sponsored under a post, I'm less inclined to interact with it, like dramatically less inclined to interact with it. So when it comes to ads, I don't want people to to um, dismiss them totally because we, we know that they do work and there are businesses that are literally built off the back of Facebook ads. But at the same time, your your content and your copy has to be so engaging because already our shields are up when we see sponsored posts. So you've got to break through that wall of someone who's resisting your content to 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 draw them in. You've got to do it bloody quick as well. Yeah, and going back to like the people who are using loads of Facebook ads at the moment who are making a success of it, I think they're only making a success of it because they know their audience so well because they're targeting the exact right people who are going to purchase their product. They know that if they spend £20 on ads, it's going to return them £60. So it's like they know that. They know that that stat's going to happen. So I think if you're going to spend on ads then I think it's worth thinking, well, if I'm going to spend £20 on ads, how much is that going to bring me back? And if you can't answer that question, then I think that's when you need to look at that kind of almost like funnel that we're talking about there of like, 
this is your audience of this size, like the huge number, and then this is the number of actually committed to a mailing list, and then even a smaller number is actually going to purchase the product. Like I remember when we first launched the podcast, we had basically a huge influencer marketing campaign from all the people that we'd helped over the previous years. And I think we worked out we had about one point, adding them all together, all their followers, I think we were like, a, we've, that equates to 1.5 million people of people who could potentially see this. And then we kind of broke that down. And we're like, oh, well, let's be realistic this. If someone's going to post it, maybe only 10% of those are going to see it. So that brings it down to 150,000. And then, well, what percentage of those people actually listen to podcasts? That brings it down to a smaller number. And we kept working that and kept working it down. Like being really realistic and really brutal about like, well, what the actual percentages of this? Because it's like, yes, we potentially had the reach of 1.5 million, but 1.5 million people weren't going to come and listen to our podcast. And I think a lot of people have that mentality of, oh, well, yeah, 1.5 million people will come and do this. But actually, what is your market? Like, who is going to buy from you? And it's knowing that in advance and kind of just spending a little bit of time to try and work it out. Like, who is your audience? Who's bought from you before? Maybe if I target people like that more, I'll see how that goes rather than just doing an automatic. I think the worst thing you can do on Facebook is or Instagram or any social platform is click the automatic button when it comes to doing ads because that will just post it out to people that are like the people already following you. But most of the people already following you will already be in your niche. They're not the kind of people who are going to buy from you. Unless you're like super fortunate and you've just got a complete audience of all of the people who've ever bought from you. But generally, that is not the case. So I think being strategic with it is going to help you like so much. Yeah, when we spoke to Daniel Priestley, I think the number that he gave was about £1,000 that you need to spend before the Facebook algorithm is actually going to really understand what's happening with your with your ad product so that's quite a significant amount of money to put into it and and until you get to that amount really you're just guessing um yeah so so yeah i would i would because i it's the same on my feed and i am seeing it a lot there's a lot of creatives um i'm getting loads of painters on mine you're getting loads of uh, photographers on yours so um it, it is very interesting to see that definitely a lot of people are using it obviously the ones that we're seeing are obviously doing that kind of scattergun um and followers are not the the be all and end all i mean so much of it is a vanity metric and i think as as we progress brands are going to become more and more savvy of sort of the the fake influencers like realizing that there's no engagement on an account on an account realizing that that fans and followers have, have been purchased um so be really careful because as soon as you put that ad spend behind your product you may end up with a load of followers but if they're not people who are interacting with your product you like it really screws you over um your your ideal follower on social media is someone who's going to leave likes comments and actually engage with your work um so i like i I do keep saying like don't write ads off completely but like it's not something i'd ever do um it's not something that we've done for the business like so like specifically social media ads um so I think really, I always say like make shareable content. Like that, that is the key. If you can make something that that hits someone in the heart or brain enough that they want to show it to someone else, that really is the key. Um, that's how this podcast grows. Is you guys listen to it, it's useful to you. You share it on your stories or you tell a friend about it. That's literally how we've grown yeah. this from grassroots. Yeah, that reminds me of something that I remember watching on the future like a long time ago. They were talking about how they grew their YouTube account. And they were basically saying they just made so much content 
and then analyzed it all. They looked at what got them the most followers, what got the most engagement, and then they put ad spend behind that. And I think that's a clever way to do it because you've got something that's proven there. Whereas most people will just put something up and then put some money behind it to try and get it to people. That post hasn't even proven itself to be worthwhile, to be valuable, to be viral. Like if you've got something that has absolutely blown up, then there's a good chance that if you put a bit of spend behind that, then it could blow up again or it could hit another market that keeps spreading. So I think if you can make that shareable content, use ads to ignite it, but don't just like use the ads to try and ignite it because I think that will never happen. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think as as things are moving forward, the the I, I was going to say the word influencers, but but really, I mean, yeah, your your online social presence, um, and we do talk about it a lot on this show because I do think it is important, and I do think that that careers can be made off the off the back of social media. I mean, in the last year, I've done it myself. I'm I'm earning a full time income from my neon paintings and that's that's off the back of instagram i'm not really uh, and and to a degree tiktok but i don't think any of my actual clients are coming from tiktok so um so i do think it is important i do think it's something that that people should be considering um and i think as we move forward it's going to be the authentic accounts the 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 real personalities the and that can be i like i'm not talking to camera in mind i use the captions um, in, in my paintings to really get across how I'm feeling, to to um, to gather around the people that I want to be around me within within my sort of uh, social sphere, and I think the people that are that understand that that are getting people on board with their journey are going to be the people that are going to win, and I think someone that does that extremely well is this week's guest. Yeah, it was amazing talking to Amrit and just finding out about how he's grown such a great community. I feel like he's got such a great awareness of how to form a community. We go a lot in this episode into like Clubhouse and kind of how he's using that platform really well. And I think like if anyone hasn't used Clubhouse yet or they've just started using it, you'll get so much from this episode just because like he's gone onto it. He's been an early adopter. He's learned it really well. I feel like I can't go on Clubhouse without seeing Amrit on there, like talking in some room or something. Like he's absolutely smashing it. Yeah, it's so funny. I The reason that we got him on the show is because I, I feel like I know him. Um, and that's through all of these different engagements that I've had on on just one app on Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we talk about Clubhouse a lot in this, but we talk about, I think if you're not on Clubhouse, it's still an important listen because the the tactics that we talk about are, are still very relevant to, to any platform, um, especially if you're thinking of live streaming or, or pushing the big red button on whatever platform you're on. Um, I think there's some really important advice in there. Brilliant, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Amrit. Hi, David. How's it going, dude? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, really good. Thanks for having me on your awesome podcast. I've heard a lot of very, very good stuff. We met on Clubhouse, the new app that's taking some people by storm. Um, you've been you've been like really killing it on there, spending quite a lot of time on the app. Like, what's your experience been with with Clubhouse so far? It's been pleasantly surprising. I mean, I didn't really expect to spend that much time on Clubhouse, as you probably know. You know, like the amount of us spending hours and hours on there, but. I know as someone who's been live streaming for six years, I know what happens when you need to build an audience. You know, it takes patience, it takes consistency, it takes hours of dedication as well. I think a lot of people who haven't built something don't realize that and their patience is very, very little and they expect everything for the small, the least amount of time. So I know that if I wanted the best out of Clubhouse, one, joining as an early adopter is brilliant, but two, putting the effort in and making sure that the community understands that you're one, an, a thought leader, an expert, and you know what you're talking about. 
you know and the one thing i love about clubhouse is that everyone checks out your instagram and or twitter instantly when you're speaking they're very nosy they want to like is this individual really this person and if you are genuinely that person then they will then your audience can actually be built quite quickly you know i've had probably over five six hundred followers in the last week or so just from clubhouse uh 250 DMs. So I'm still going through the DMs at the moment. It's been <laughs> insane. Um, but I've sold over 100 artworks. So I think when people know you're genuine and you provide good quality content, they are happy to support you. And for someone kind of as, maybe as an artist or a creative who's going on to Clubhouse now and like being like, wow, this is like a really good platform and finding they're spending quite a long time there. How do you recommend that people start turning like making their voice heard because I think like obviously we've got a lot of experience with doing audio and talking about things and what would your recommendation be to someone who's maybe not done that before and is maybe looking to get started in voice or kind of getting their name and uh, voice and face out there so one of the things if you've ever heard me on clubhouse is I always bang on about the elevator pitch and this is something that I say to all creatives is that if you really want to be confident and understand how to articulate what you want to say, understand first how to articulate what you do, you know? So elevator pitch is brilliantly valuable in that sense. You know, if you can learn, if you can introduce yourself in 30 to 60 seconds in a way where the user completely understands exactly what you're about, that's is a that's the best way of starting on any platform. So I always recommend understand what you do because the biggest problem is you have people who are creatives coming onto platforms like Clubhouse or any audio platform, let's say, they get so nervous or overwhelmed that they introduce themselves and then they ramble on. And then they just, they don't know when to stop. They just talk about everything then. So, it's, and I've heard this so many times, they're like, they talk about the intro, which is brilliant. Then they talk about the horse and the kitchen sink and the dog. And it's just kind of like, what, what are you on about? And so I think learning your elevator pitch, introducing yourself but also being honest say to people you know what it's my first ever time doing this you know i've never done it be nice and people will genuinely support those who are brand new you know we're not monsters and creatives aren't monsters you know but i think it's that that monkey brain that that fearful mind that tells us that everyone's gonna laugh at us or or, or try to pull us down so i would just say that yeah that's so true like the first time i went on clubhouse i was so nervous getting up in a room and it's like I do public speaking. I do this podcast. I I can't believe how nervous I was. But so um, to anyone who hasn't done public speaking and hasn't done podcasting, I'm imagining it's probably even worse. But they have literally nothing to worry about. It is like the most chilled place. Like I I've it's been such a like pleasant surprise for me. I've I've and when you what you're saying about elevator pitch, I think you've introduced me like three or four times now to to different rooms. And every time you do, I come on with a big load of hot waffle and I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> I do not have the elevator pitch down. I'm just like, blah, and I've got podcasts and I do paintings and they're neon and I don't know. And I just do this ramble. Um, so yeah, it's very true. I do need to, I need to get more succinct with that. Um, but I just think the vibe on there, man, is just, well, let's, let's caveat that. If you find the right rooms, Clubhouse is absolutely perfect. And you don't have to jump straight on stage. You can get yourself in, sit around for a little while, hear what people are talking about. But I've been in some absolutely shocking ones where mostly Americans are all shouting over the top of each other. That's just, I mean, that's like Twitter in real life to me. It's just, you're sitting there and you're like, yeah. what is going on? But the rooms that that we're in, Amrit, the, the rooms for creatives, for artists, 
they're super chilled everyone is respectful of everyone else's opinions and time and there's like lively debate i really like how we've been getting into like getting into actual discussions of like well yeah maybe that's the right way to do it but have you ever considered doing it this way and it's been it's been quite fiery sometimes which is great yeah i think alternative opinions are massively important especially the fact that we're living in a political correctness gone mad world you know where everyone's so uh, afraid of offending everyone and they what the problem with that is that no one wants to discuss or talk about anything you know yeah. so i used to i love having debates with people i love having a conversation just in general and i think we've we've lost that but what clubhouse is doing is bringing that back now in a, with a bit of a safety net you know you're not in front of the person you can't see the face but you can hear their audio so the fact is that people are willing to have conversations and debates not that scared about offending anyone because it's all on a from a good stance if that makes sense mm-hmm. so um i completely agree i think it's important that everyone understands that finding your room is like finding your tribe you know it's about what if if it vibes wrong then get out of it you know there's i i've been in so many rooms where i'm like i just do not like the vibe of the room i don't like what they're talking about it's too fake it's too silly it's mm. too oh, and i'm just out and so every room that i like to create has to have that vibe where everyone feels safe sharing whatever they want to share and everyone who's on stage or the mods are good enough to be providing good quality feedback and not offending anyone in a way that they're not putting them down or like just ripping them to shreds that's not why i want so mm-hmm. i'm very careful with with the type of rooms that i run and the type of mods that i have on stage and i've brought you up a number of times david as well and I've, i tend to recognize people who are good in their field although this is the first time i'm seeing your face because it's normally this this neon <laughs> circle and i'm just like well, who is this david what does he look like and now i know <laughs> i love what you said there about how it's like finding your tribe and i think that's such an important thing it's like if you're in any situation you don't feel like it's the right room for you then there probably is the right room somewhere else. It might just take a little bit more searching to find it. I didn't find my tribe on Clubhouse instantly. Um, it was definitely, I spent at least a week just popping into rooms, having um, kind of jumping on stages, just getting a feel of the environment really. Um, and then I don't just stay in art rooms though, but that is a room that I do go in the most, but it's like other creative rooms, uh, a lot of social media stuff, because that's the work that I do. Uh, mindfulness meditation travel business startups those are the type of rooms that i go but then even then you have to find the right room for each category as well but then one thing i do really like though is it's not always about the room but the about the the type of people you'll find the mods tend to open multiple rooms so if you find an uh, an individual that's really really good and you follow them you know that whatever room that they're going to open is going to be a good room you know so that's i think that's what's more important than the rooms itself is following the right people it's like curating your own rooms and the only way to curate your own rooms is by following the right people and this is like so kind of reminiscent of every social media platform like when they're getting started it's like when tiktok first came available or like first kind of started to hit the masses i'm like going on there and being like this is not the place for me but then actually giving it some time and looking it is the place for you everyone has a place there it's just you've just got to find it like yes you the first as soon as you first open it it's going to look like teenagers dancing because that's the most popular thing on the platform currently so that's the first thing it's going to show you but actually yeah if you do start to search the hashtags and like start trying to find your niche like i feel like when you've got a platform that's of that scale it's always possible to find your people you just need to know the right direction to look and not give up 
when you think oh it's just definitely not for me because there's definitely someone else who's thinking that exact same thing somewhere else and if you two can find each other that's when a community can start to form and it's just like slowly build that up over time um community building starts off with anyone who can relate to you but anyone who also can align with you as well normally a community is built based on a problem that they want to solve or an issue that someone has or multiple people have at the same time you know like why isn't this here i don't know let's create it you know let's fix it you know so i think that was the read that was with clubhouse as well why isn't an artist space you know what forget why let's create one then i think that's where the best communities that are created is when you ask why and if it's not there, then you create something and then bring the bring the tribe together. One of the most interesting things for me has been, I, I suppose because I've been around it for so long now, when I see someone trying to get me into into like a clickbait sales funnel, I, I recognize it instantly and I run away from it. And we've we've had Mike Winnett on the show who exposes entrepreneurs. So I, I guess I've, I've been around that quite a lot. It's It's really interesting to see in real time when you have these rooms that are the millionaire mindset or no, there's, that's, there probably is one called that. So I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to think of something generic, but like become a billionaire and, and you go into those rooms and you see the thousands of people that are, and, and there's all this high pressure sales tactics of like, if you're not following the mods, then you're not going to be brought up on stage and on all of this, like really aggressive behavior in there. I'm just like, wow. So for, for anyone who does experience that, like don't, yeah, take, take that, initial time to view because there are some sharks on there ruthless relentless sharks on there um and i thought that they'd have empty rooms but sadly not they've got they've got jam-packed rooms it's because they know psychology they know how to trick people Mm. into feeling vulnerable and the fact that they're feeling they make people feel bad that they're why aren't you why am i not spending money with you why am i like this is really bad on the business uh, uh acumen and I always say for anyone who's listening to this, do not pay to be a mod. Do not pay to go in a room. Do not pay to do anything on Clubhouse. Unfortunately, people have been tricked into doing that because there are so many vulnerable people on Clubhouse. There are so many vulnerable people right now. Like we're in a pandemic. People are looking for the answer. You know, they're looking for the Holy Grail. And unfortunately, these individuals sell the Holy Grail or what seems to be the Holy Holy Grail in terms of earning money, earning a certain X number, um, getting out of this uh, weird situation where you can work for yourself. And that whole, um, it's kind of like glamorizing the whole entrepreneurial life set, which is very dangerous as well. And that's another thing, because I teach a lot of students as well. And I say like, yes, like the hustle nature is sounds really good but don't it's not glamorous as you think it is you know being an entrepreneur yeah. isn't as glamorous you know it's hard work you need to network work your ass off and it's it's tough to do it but the problem is people don't people are glamorizing it so much that people are just messing up their mental health and it's the same with clubhouse with certain rooms that they're not focusing properly on the true nature of of running running your own business really so currently um clubhouse is not available to android users um so it's i so i feel like it is still very new um, obviously, because you said about being an early adopter, I feel like if people jump in now, they they still uh, they still can become like an early adopter. It's not like that that ship hasn't sailed yet. Um, and and also as well, which I suppose is interesting, is that we've got Twitter Spaces being developed, which is their answer to Clubhouse. There's rumors that Instagram are going to come in um, with their own version. I think what I found so great about TikTok was learning how to edit videos on there with no pressure. 
and then moving that to Instagram Reels when those landed, I feel like a similar thing could happen with Clubhouse. If you just get yourself familiar with it now, when they when they do launch in a, if you just say, oh, I'll just wait for the Twitter one. If you haven't been practicing for the last six months, then you won't be ready for it. It's the same with, if you look at every social media platform, it basically is built on the previous most popular version. And there's a re yeah. different types of iterations that go out. I remember when I first, when Periscope was bought by Twitter in 2015, uh, for a million dollars before they even launched they wanted to integrate a brand new way of working right that you could live stream from your mobile phone instead of a desktop they were the first people to do it but as soon as they were launched a few months later instagram live was launched facebook live was launched then twitter twitch even uh had their mobile phone version and every other one there was like live.me you now busker blah there's so many that popped up but because i started using live streaming when they they opened they launched in March, I joined in May, so I was an early adopter. So I literally was using it from the get go, and as soon as these other platforms came out, I was like, I already know how to do it. You know, I've been doing it yeah, on yeah. this platform for a good few months. I know what works, what doesn't work. I've already got the all the kinks out. I know what not to do, and so I could jump on another platform and really do really well on it. And so I remember that in two thousand eighteen, uh, Twitter introduced audio only live streams, but they were too early for it. They, so basically what Clubhouse is right now, they've been working on since 2018, which is now called Spaces. So I remember I was part of the pilot program on that and it was cool and everyone was like, oh, check me out. Uh, I'm doing audio only, but it was audio only where you could still just read the comments, you know. Um, but it was strange because everyone used to live streaming. It was just a black screen. It was, yeah. almost weird. <laughs> yeah. it was just like you, you saw your own reflection in, in, on your phone. So they didn't quite, it wasn't right quite there. And because it wasn't quite there, no one used it. You know, everyone was more interested in actual video content. And so now since 2018, Twitter have been working behind the scenes slowly on their version. And then as soon as Clubhouse launched, that's it. Now they're really pumping forward and trying to- yeah, They must be pissed. <laughs> well, I was in um, a beta um, version the other day, yesterday, I think, the day before. And so I, there was, they're trying to get all the Periscope OGs uh, onto Twitter Spaces, right. they've yeah. built the entire platform on Periscope, um, everything. So the new Spaces is right. built directly on top of Periscope and Periscope is gonna quit stop on March the 31st, I think it's gonna end. So right. they're basically just recycling the entire thing with Twitter Spaces. And so they wanna work with um, like live stream influencers to start doing audio only. And obviously the fact that we've been using Clubhouse for such a while, it's, that's now easy. I was in there, everyone's struggling. What do I do? How do I unmute yourself? I'm like, man, we've been doing this for like, seems like decades by now, right? <laughs> so yeah, exactly what you said, um, David, is that once you get used to, in a very short period, how to use one technology, guaranteed it gets passed out through every major platform. And that is a, a really good way for you to lead the charge in your area or in your, in your field. I think as well with that, it's like if you join Clubhouse now, and your friends aren't on it. There's no pressure there to be like, my friends are gonna think I'm rubbish at this. Because it's like, you can go on there, try it out. And if it doesn't work to start, it just doesn't matter. Like just get the practice in. Because it's like, if like, I say if, if, well, when Clubhouse gets bigger and Instagram inevitably copies it, then it's like, everyone's kind of very precious about their Instagram and how they kind of appear on that because they've already got this kind of aesthetic there. So if, so when kind of, whenever Instagram decides to copy it and drop that, it's like you can either come into it being great and kind of have the level of expertise that you already want to go into that 
or you can kind of start fresh and really nervous on that platform. So it's like, get your practice in on these newer platforms that are like just trying out. I think that's even like, it's even worth just going through the app store and seeing what new apps are popping up and just trying to use them for a little bit. So you can basically like use it as a practice for then for just a chance that that might turn into something else in the future. And I think whenever you can do that, especially if no one's watching, like YouTube's a great example as well. It's like when you start a YouTube channel, you don't have anyone watching and you can make hundreds of videos and no one's there watching anything, but that's you getting your practice in because by the time people actually do start coming over, then you've already hit that level. And I think a lot of people have that kind of fear of making the first piece of content for the fact that it won't be the professional level that they expect. What would you kind of say to people who are first getting started in that and like how to overcome that first bit of confidence? I think what's really nice about, for example, let's, let's cover Clubhouse first. It's nothing is recorded and you can't watch it again. So it's, once you say it, it's gone into the ether. Well, we're hoping no one's recording. Let's just not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once it's recorded, it's done. You know, so that's a great thing is that you can make mistakes and only those people in the room, you will see it, but they don't really care and you just move on. It's like having a phone conversation. Everyone slips up on a phone conversation, you know. But if you, when you move to other platforms that have recorded elements you know that are resharable then it's interesting that's when people's mindset starts to focus on the numbers or yeah. instantly so i always say and this is what was actually recommended to me so when i started live streaming i was focused just on the numbers you know because i didn't know what to expect it was such a new shiny toy i was just like how do i how do i know if i'm doing well or not you know so i was looking at the numbers of people watching and if the numbers dropped then my attitude dropped, you know? And I, it went from being excited to being, to can't be bothered. And so I noticed that and that wasn't healthy. And then someone said to me, who's been in broadcast journalist, uh, journalism for a long time said, put a sticky note or a blue tack over the number. And if you don't see it out of mind, out of sight, your attitude yeah. and perception will be exactly the same. And it worked. So for a good few months, I had no idea while I was live, how many people were watching me. So I had the exact same confidence, excitement. I was welcoming people in. I was talking about my work. I was playing music. I was interacting. And then when people watched a replay, it was exactly the same. You know, I didn't drop in confidence. If I saw the number going down, I didn't complain. I wasn't whinging. So that's the biggest thing I was I would recommend to anyone who's on a platform where there's a recording element that people can watch again is don't focus on the numbers, cover it up if you need to while you're live and then think about the people who are re-watching. Think about the replay viewers because they are just as important as your live viewers, you know? Uh, it's the same with any platform really, especially um, live platforms, but even when you're producing content as well, is think about how you can back up the content that you're producing through um, cross-promoting through a number of platforms, you know? So for example, I'm always like, if I'm uh, doing a live stream and I want to get people to my Instagram, I end what I'm creating to a point where they really want to see the end product. And I say, if you want to see the end product, follow me on Instagram, that's where I'm going to post it. Okay. So there's a whole strategy that I've got for my entire um artwork and stuff hence the reason why it sells well and that's the reason why i sell it all over the world is because i not only allow people to be part of the process which they are absolutely honored the fact that i'm asking them a question and they can change the color of an artwork you know imagine someone um, changes the artwork they're like and they and it's as a print or it gets published and then then they look at your shop or if they buy it they'll tell all of their friends and family i said change that to red you know, they'll be so proud of it and it's happened so many times. So that's the only thing I would always say is that one, don't focus on numbers. Two, 
think about how you can start to bring your audience. You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. Yeah, I love that because we talked to, um, we had a, a rapper called Harry Mack on the show and he does live streams where he'll just get his audience just like put out a, a word and then he'll just bring that into his rap and then like someone else will show something out and then it'll like mix it into that. And I feel like what you're doing there is a really similar thing to that. What would your recommendation be to artists who, who do want to do a similar kind of thing? Uh, but not necessarily copy exactly what you've done. So the thing is, there is no blueprint to, uh, to success. It's really important to say that, you know, there's no, you can, uh, you can use someone as inspiration, but don't imitate. And I say this before, in fact, I want to quickly find something that I actually teach about um, inspiration or using inspiration and imitation. So there's, there's four things that you, we should look at inspiration imitation iteration and interpretation okay so every time yeah. you want to do anything work music art use these four eyes and think about how you are creating your work and how you're being inspired and what you're putting out there so number one look at everyone as inspiration that's perfectly fine but then don't imitate them Imitate them if you want to learn how to practice to draw, but don't imitate yeah. to sell. So that's where the um, interpretation of imitation comes in. If your interpretation of imitation is to copy and sell, that's bad. If you if it's to copy and learn the skill and then develop your style, that's perfectly fine. That's when iteration comes in because the only way that you can get good is by doing it over and over and over again. But for and this is and I say this to creatives all the time is. If, for example, if you want to copy my, I have a lot of people who copy myself. I have people who DM me the blatant copied work. I have people who <laughs> have my work tattooed on them. Um, and so I always say openly, like, I do not mind if you use my work as inspiration. And through iteration, you get good so and you develop your style. But what I don't like is when you use my style and you imitate it and then pass it off as your work. Mm. that's when it goes wrong and that's the that's what happens with creatives and artists in general when they are looking to have make their mark on social media or make their mark in general on the world is that they have this pressure of having a style so they copy and try to then push it out there and so that's the only thing i would say is that what if you want to do what i do look at how i do it rip it apart and reapply your own way of thinking, your uniqueness, you know, your background, what you've been through, your way of working, your, your, uh, you might be clever, you might be funny or sarcastic, or you might tell jokes, whatever's unique about you, bring that into it and then push your, your uniqueness out there and build your tribe that way. That's the, that's the biggest advice I would give to any, any artist. Yeah, I think that's really important because I think as an artist, if you just start to copy people, that's a very like short term goal like if you want to make this career like last your whole lifetime like you can't just copy people otherwise you'll always be like scrambling around for like that oh i'll get a bit of that and i'll get a bit of that i'm just going to copy it exactly but as soon as you start to develop yourself and develop like take those bits of inspiration add it a bit into your own take another bit of inspiration from somewhere else add it into your own then you slowly start to develop something that is uniquely yours and then you don't need to after a certain amount of time you don't need to go and get inspiration because it's already like you could just see a, a cup and be like, oh, yeah, it's something completely random. I can bring that and make a piece of artwork around it because I've got all the 
the skill set to do that. And then it's your interpretation of that cock, which is which comes into it. But not only yeah. I think what's really important as well to remember is if you imitate too much, then you, whenever you get to the point where you want to share your stuff, no one's going to like it because they associate your brand is now with this specific 100%. style that you've been doing over and over again. And so there's a big issue of you never genuinely sharing what you love because your audience is just so used to you sharing one imitated version of artwork or whatever you create. And to jump on top of that there, it's like and when you do share it, because people are used to seeing something else, it won't get as many likes, for example, if you're going to post it. And then that's going to give you that negative feeling of like, well, everyone hates it. So this is the wrong thing. And it's not the fact that it's bad. It's just the fact that they're not used to seeing it. They're following you for a different reason. So I think that's why it's important to put your own thing all the time because then people are going to like you for that. And yes, it might take longer than something that's already been proven as popular, but it's definitely the way to have a sustained career. It's worth it in the long run, for sure, definitely. Thank you for moving us off of uh, Clubhouse and onto live streaming, because I, <laughs> I probably would have spoken for uh, the whole podcast just about Clubhouse. Um, <laughs> but I, I think one of the things that we um, we get a lot is creatives are saying to us, I can't keep up the the continual posts on instagram i can't do three a week because to create whatever i do takes me three weeks to make it and i think that's the perfect time where if they haven't considered live streaming that's the time to jump on the live streaming because whilst you're making your pot or doing your oil painting or whatever it is that you make jumping into live streaming is is a way to document that it's a way to interact with people um, and it doesn't have to be this final finished shiny product which Gen typically our post on Instagram is the final finished shiny product. It doesn't have to be that. What are your what are your top tips for um for people diving into um live streaming for the first time? Is there is there a particular pl a platform that you'd recommend it on? Um and and sort of what are some of your top tips? That's a good question. So there are so many platforms out there. The the way I ask people to kind of get into live streaming is use a platform that you use the most first. Right. I mean, if you asked me five years ago, there was there was so uh, there's such a limited choice. I could literally say one or two, because there's so many right now. I always say, what platform do you post on a regular basis? Where is your most strongest community? Go live there. That's pretty much it. Um, once you understand live streaming, and when I mean understand, I mean actually understand how to live stream because it's not as easy as people think. So this is how one for starters, you're live streaming in your room by yourself, talking to your phone. That's it. It's a very strange thing if you think about it, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, that's what you're doing. And so you have to first get used to that, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a lone experience. However, there are real people on the other side. They're not just digits. They're actual people who are watching you, who are investing their time into you. So there's a, quite a lot of influence in that area, you know. And I always say the most powerful type of social media is live streaming because they dedicate their time and listen to you. They're there right now for you. So you can get them to do quite a lot. You know, you can influence them that you can, you've got actions, you can get them to like stuff or, or share stuff. But the biggest thing I always say is whatever you do, understand it's going to be very overwhelming at first. <laughs> very overwhelming, right? You're talking, you're reading comments, you're drawing, and you're thinking of what to draw all at the same time, you know? And if you've if you're not used to that amount of multitasking, I remember the first few months or first few weeks I did it, I didn't want to speak to anyone for like a year. I was so exhausted. I was so fed up of people. You know, I was just like, <laughs> I felt like I've spoken for six months in one broadcast. Um, 
because I'm a natural introvert and I need to recharge by spending time alone and creating artwork. You know, I, I can't talk too much. Even after this, I'm going to just not speak to anyone, <laughs> even on Clubhouse as well. So I think you need to understand what, first of all, what do you need to recharge if you're an introvert or an extrovert or an ambivert? But two is slowly get into this whole multitasking way, you know. The best live streams are the live streams where you interact with your audience. You know, we're not watching TV. It's not a YouTube, you know. So if you're sitting there and you're quiet and you're drawing and you're ignoring every comment, your 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 viewers will not like that. You know, they'll walk out because yeah, yeah. they feel abandoned and ignored. Even though you might be doing it because you're, you, that's the safest way, that you that's a level that you can handle, others won't understand that, you know. So... Make sure you have music on in the, in the background. If you do have music, uh, make sure it's open source on Instagram or Facebook. If you're on Twitter or TikTok, it's fine. You can use Spotify. But make sure you try and interact with as many as you can, even if that means sacrificing what you're doing and you're focused on interaction more and you're doing like a line at a time. You know, if I create artwork live, uh, especially in the early days, it will take me forever <laughs> to finish something because I was talking and that's that was fine. That's the reason why I never did any commission work live. Otherwise, it would just not be worth it. And I didn't do any branded work. It was only personal work. So I didn't mind if um, an artwork took me three days to do, which would normally take me 30 minutes. Didn't mind, you know, because the joy was in the conversation. The joy was in the interaction, finding out about these strangers around the world, finding more about the followers who normally comment on your stuff, you know, get to know them. And also they get to know you as well. Um, the third thing I would say is be prepared for trolls. You know, it is live streaming. You have plenty of keyboard warriors out there who are bored, who want to throw you off your game, who want to be in control of your broadcast. You know, it's, it's what people do. And I have been inundated by trolls and I love trolls now. I, I mess about with them. I'm sarcastic. Uh, I have fun. I use reverse psychology. However, if you can't handle a troll or you don't want to deal with them, block them. No, plain and simple get rid of them get them out but it's really important to understand that trolls will come into your broadcast and there's nothing wrong with that you know it's not that your your artwork is bad it's not that what you're creating is bad it's just trolls stumble in sneak through because they're bored they prey on people who are talented who are really good at what they do purely to throw you off your game so my biggest advice for you is Remember that you're in control. It's your show. You know, always empower yourself before you do a live stream as you are the host of your show. Everyone's come to watch you. Everyone's come to listen to you. Everyone's come to see your talent. And always remind yourself that. And if you if you do always remind yourself, you'll have no problem. If you don't, then the trolls take over the broadcast and that's where the issue comes in. So it, it's, I can say, I can give you loads of advice, but the advice will not make any sense until you start your journey in live streaming and take it it reminds me so much of like we do a lot of like live art at events and stuff like in real life and it's like it's so similar to that because it's like you'll be painting drawing or we'll be doing some form of art and then the public always come up and have a conversation and they're interested and you stop and you answer those questions if every person that came up you just completely ignored they're going to like not have much of an interaction with you and i think that's yeah. almost like a great way to think about it it's like be like there's real people in the room imagine you've gone and put a table in the street out in the public people are of course going to come and ask you what you're doing because it's different and as long as you take the time to start having those conversations then yeah people are going to really interact with it so yeah it's almost try and imagine that you're in the real world 
with real people in front of you. And then I think, yeah, your response will be much better. It's also great to put yourself in their shoes as well. Imagine you were working customer services and you asked a question, they turned their back on you. How would you feel? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So if, if you do that to people watching live, they are not gonna have not they're not gonna have the best experience. And that experience gonna is gonna continue on throughout your entire brand. So it's important if you and like through live stream is is the quickest way you can gain um a lot. You can grow a brand, you can sell work, you can you can gain a lot in the shortest amount of time through live streaming because they can get to know you very, very quickly instead of through uh, static posts or uh, emotionless image uh, text. So because you can gain so much, you can also lose so much at the same time, you know. So if you are not um, if you're ignoring them, if you're not really talking properly or if you're slating them or being not nice that is going to uh, that's going to go all the way across your brand and if you want to promote anything or sell it anything in the future that's going to be detrimental as well so it goes two ways you know you don't always want you want nice stuff from your viewers but you also want to provide that value back as well yeah 100 percent. it's like it's people first i suppose it's like it's the people before whatever it is else that you're doing because it's like that's the interaction that matters and that's what's going to build a relationship and I really like what you're saying there about how how important it is compared to just having a post because it is the equivalent of actually being sat in a room having a conversation with someone or just posting pictures of your artwork through their door and then being like oh this is cool no idea who made it though exactly yeah it's like a cold caller right or i mean we get enough stuff through the letterbox and we look at it it might be cool but we just drop it on the side but if someone yeah. opens the door you're going to stand there having a conversation, you know? But if the person isn't nice, like you're going to close the door as much as possible, but you've still got that interaction. And that's what live streaming is. It's that, it's that foot in the door, but then you have to carry on in and, uh, that conversation where you invite them into your house and sit down, have a cup of tea. That's the conversation where you want to get you to a point where they're enjoying the conversation. When I do live streams now, I do get about, what, 50,000 people per broadcast at minimum. But... Um, I get so many messages from people who are watching my live stream while uh, airplaying it on the TV and they're doing the, they're putting the kids to bed, they're, uh, they're doing the washing, they're putting the dishes in, they're cleaning, like, they're listening to me and the music that I'm playing while they're doing this stuff and then they pop back to see the progress for the artwork and then do this stuff. It's very strange when you have people who then, who love the vibe that you provide in your live streams that they they bring the whole family into it as well. And they, they're like, oh, yeah, my two-year-old's watching you. And, and that's when it gets strange, but very, very cool as well. Super cool. What happens if you mess up? Nothing. The world stays exactly as it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. That is a great question. Um, I think when I first live streamed, that was my biggest uh, worry was what if I make a mistake and what if everyone sees it? They're going to see me for the fraud that I am. <laughs> you know, like your, your mind plays all these weird tricks on you. But eventually you get to a point where if you make a mistake, it, you, it's your opportunity to turn it into an opportunity. You know, you, so I always say this and now what I do and I've been doing this at least for the last three years is when I make a mistake, I stop and I point to the mistake. I says, look, everyone, I've made a mistake. Now let's turn it into, into an opportunity. I make the mistake as part of the show. And I feel that's really important to do, not just for myself, because it gives me confidence that I've not, I'm not a failure. But two, it gives other people confidence that it's okay to make a mistake. You know, you learn from it. Um, no one has built anything where there's not been any mistakes or failures. You know, the failures and the mistakes are the ones that provide the strongest 
foundations for anything that you do. And so I actually have a lot of fun when I do make a mistake because I don't purposely go around and make a mistake, but there might be yeah. a, a, a line or something that I didn't intend to do, but it actually looks better because I didn't expect it to look that way, if that makes sense. So yeah, I embrace mistakes now uh, and, and I and what, point it out. I think as well, it makes you really re relatable as a person because it's like, if you're just this perfect person who just paints these perfect things and then no one's, everyone's just like, oh, he's just so good. I can't get to that level. But then it's kind of like, you're just watching like this celebrity on TV. It's like, there's no interaction there. But by having that kind of authenticity running through it, then people will be like, oh, actually, yeah, he does make mistakes. He's a real human. They see that kind of like, I feel like people like to see other people fail, not in like a really mean way, but like just to make it so it reflects on them and they're like oh actually yeah that means i have the chance of getting there as well exactly but that's also how you create advocates as well you know there's a difference between fans followers and, and advocates if you want advocates who support you no matter what they need to align with you as, an, as a human individual which is exactly that as a real person who makes mistakes who yawns who's tired who has to get up late or get up early instead of the but followers are people who follow you and don't quite know you, but they like what you do, mm. you know? But an advocate goes that one step further. I always say it's like um, everyone's used to walking around a museum and seeing artwork on a wall. But we see the artwork, we're like, cool, that's pretty cool. And then we walk, we carry on walking. We don't really know why why the artist painted that. What was what was he feeling? What was he talking about? If we did, we would stay in that piece and just admire it and really stare at it and watch it because we understand exactly what the artist was trying to do. And and that's what I love about live streaming is that is you're really bringing people on, along with you on the journey. You know, you're being real and authentic. Um, people and and when you do make mistakes or you have a laugh or you mess up. People absolutely love it. Like you said, uh, Adam, it's not because they want to see you fail. It's because you are a human being. You know, people, the problem with social media is the, the better you do, the higher the pedestal people put you on. And I don't like that. Mm. You know, people just think that you're this influencer or micro-influencer or this amazing artist. Like the amount of times on Clubhouse, people keep uh, calling me an established artist. It does my head in because I've only been showing art for less than like four years, like three years. I'm nowhere near an established artist. I'm just a baby at the moment. But it's people's perception of you. It's the pedestal that they put you on. And so I always like to break that that pedestal, that boundaries and, and make people part of the process. Just to be like, I'm no one, I'm no, I'm, I'm no one special. I'm not better than you. You know, I've just been on the journey maybe longer and I've got a bit more experience in marketing and branding. But in terms of our artistic experience, we're actually at the same level and you can also do exactly what I'm doing. You know, it's not completely out of reach. It's it's viable. So I, I guess your advocates are going to be the ones who actually purchase your work because your followers probably aren't going to uh, purchase your work. You've been really sort of calculated about obviously you're an artist and you love art, but you you're very like organized when it comes to the business side of your career. I think business is massively important. Like I'm quite lucky that I studied graphic design and not art. And I say this openly. Um, if I studied art, I think I, I would be probably 10 years behind my career than where I am right now, because when I studied design, I also studied business alongside my degree. So um, I managed to kind of do a Dragon's Den style. Um, I went to Coventry University and alongside them, they had a student's placements for entrepreneurs in education. And what that is, is that you could pitch your business and you get 5,000 pounds, which grant for free. 
and um, and you get three months of business training from top business individuals. So what I did is while I was studying um, my graphic design degree, I learned about business, SWOT analysis, invoices, terms and conditions, all the stuff that you don't get taught at a creative degree yeah. at all. And so I left really understanding um, how I wanted to have a business or what I wanted. And I did have a business while I was at university, but then I got a scholarship to do my master's at Winchester School of Art. And my master's was in uh, communication design with entrepreneurship. So then I took it one step further, which was, okay, how do I use communication design, graphic design, but in an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial way? How do I make money out of it? And how can I elevate it? So I left my education with a really interesting way of looking at the design industry which was from a business point of view, from an entrepreneur point of view. And then I instantly went for, so for the last 12 years, working from publishing to branding to advertising and working in agencies to social housing to tech companies. And then by the time I got to the point where I wanted to share my art, which was in 2016, I had all of these transferable skills already under my belt, you know, marketing, PR, business, working with a team, managing a team, um, heading huge uh, projects so it was very easy to 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 do the marketing stuff for me and i think that's the stuff which for me i always try to highlight is especially when i um lecture at fine art universities or degrees or or any artists i'm like all right it's brilliant the skill that you've got but how can we now leverage business how can we leverage marketing how can we leverage content creation and selling yourself in a way because as creatives we are very self-deprecating and we're also very, no, I wouldn't say humble is the right word. Humble can be used, but we're, we don't shout out about our achievements t- too much or enough. You know, we yeah. might do, oh, did you see this awesome artwork? And then that's it. <laughs> you know, we won't, we won't really, like, uh, compared to Americans who are completely different, you know, they will shout out about it for months and months. And <laughs> we do, we need a fine line between the two, you know. And so that's the thing that I always say, like that's the reason why I talk about that on Clubhouse and many other platforms is how can you learn and you can learn in your own time, but there are plenty of training courses available where you can learn business courses and public speaking and pitching and presenting and all of that stuff and content creation. So you are at a stage right now where you're ready even more so for the for the for the future of the digital economy that we're, we're moving into, especially the creator economy. You know, we've spoken about the creative economy a little bit in the past few years, but now the creative economy is, is really moving forward, you know, about how to use the content creation to make money as a content creator, you know, through advertisements and um, and and um, sponsorships and business and uh, funnels and all that kind of stuff. But it, in order to be ready for the world where, where the creative economy is massive, uh, you need to, as a creative, understand how to make money and how to be a business person as well. How do you know when's the time to start turning that into a business? Because obviously there's going to be a level of like, I can't pick up a paintbrush, well, I, I, something I've never done before. And then tomorrow I'll be like, oh, this is going to be a business. At what point do I know now's the time that I should start looking into these marketing business kind of things to just start selling my work? Because we get lots of people asking us who maybe have, are still in school or quite early on in their journey who are like, when do I monetize? I need to monetize. I need to make some money from this. For me personally, with my art, I had no intention of selling my art. I just had, I just wanted to share. That's what I wanted. You know, I had fun on live streaming and it got to a point where um, people demanded that I sold my work. They wanted <laughs> to buy my work. So there is actually quite 
something big out of that, which is don't try pushing your artwork and being the salesperson instantly because you'll only throw people away or off the game. Think about how you can provide values like give, 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 give some more and then ask. You know, how can you keep giving, providing value, tips and tricks behind the scenes? Um, I used to teach people how to use acrylic art. Even though I was teach learning myself, I was like, let's learn acrylic art together. Let's use watercolors together. Let's kind of try figuring out stuff. Uh, for me, it was about community building first, you know, getting people on board who really invested in me as an individual and, a, and as an artist. And then it got to the point where they just really wanted to support the artist, um, the person behind the artwork. So that's one way that you could, you, everyone really should be looking at the artwork or design work, whatever, is how can you first share stuff, join platforms like Clubhouse, do your live streams, uh, position yourself as a thought leader, as an expert in your field. And then when people absolutely love what you say or what you put out there, they will naturally want to uh, invest in you. The other way that you can start when you get to the right point is when you start to um, when you start to kind of maybe lose opportunities because you're so invested in a, a full time job or in a, uh, another industry. You know, when when an opportunity comes your way, but you're so busy on the full time job that you just have to say no. Right. So that's kind of what happened to me when I had to quit my job is I was working full time. I was head of design. It was great, but there was no creativity in it. It was, it was kind of a bit stagnant and I was live streaming and all these amazing opportunities were coming out my way and I couldn't do it because I was, I was working a full time job. And but the opportunities I was turning down were way, way better and even more scary than what I was currently doing. But the fear is that salary that's coming every single month, you know, that's easy, that's gonna pay the bills. But the other side is exciting, but fearful and dangerous, you know, is that what ifs. So eventually I had to get to the point which was like, what if I lose so many opportunities that I completely regret not taking them? And then I took that plunge, I was just like, and the thing is you can never be ready to work for yourself ever. Doesn't matter what people say, there's nothing that you can do. You can be prepared, yes, but not ready. There's a, there's a difference between, between the two. And um, so I had to jump ship. I was absolutely petrified and scared, but I did have six months of savings first. So I was clever. You know, you not just don't just jump without six, at least yeah. some savings, you know, just in case. And then I took all the opportunities and the last, um, on Monday, in fact, on Monday was four years since I quit my job, since I left my job on Monday. And it's been the most insane four years of my life. Like it's been... The things that I've done in the last four years, I never thought I would ever do ever, but it's it's the 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 growth has been like that has been very very steep compared to my design career, which was like this, you know, mm. and so that the reason why it's so steep is because I've been pushing myself in opportunities, saying yes to doing stuff that would up, up, like petrify me, throwing myself in the deep end by being on stages, doing public speaking. Like the, the further you push yourself out, out of the comfort zone, the quicker your, your growth is. And the, and the quicker you grow as an individual in terms of your confidence and also your self-confidence and self-belief in your, in your own abilities. Amazing. Listen, Amra, I could talk to you all day long um, and I do most days on Clubhouse anyway. So um, <laughs> absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, please let everyone know where they can find you online. Yeah, sure. So my name is Amra Singh, but I am Mr. A Singh everywhere. That's M-R-A-S-I-N-G-H. It's fine. You can stalk me. I do not mind. Thank you very much for having me. Brilliant. Thank Legend. you so much, dude. Cheers.